joining us uh, as he does periodically. He is Matt Biamonte, Cougar Sports Saturday, kslsports.com. You can read his byline there, one of our BYU insiders. Matt, what's up, man? Happy Super Bowl weekend, bro. I can't wait for the Super Bowl, man. This uh, Maybe the best Super Bowl matchup I feel like we've had in years. It just This one has so many great storylines. I cannot wait. Well, are you uh, – I can't remember what your uh, persuasion was on teams. You're not a 49ers guy. You're not a Chiefs guy. You're just a football lover. I'm a Rams guy, actually, oh, which well. shouldn't come as a surprise to you. But I like players on both sides. Like, the NFL is such a great players league. And there's uh, – McCaffrey's awesome for the Niners. The Brock Purdy story is great. It's hard to root against Andy Reid, so it's it's a great Super Bowl matchup. All right, let me explain something before you – because you you mowed past this like it's something that is normal. Uh, as you would imagine, I'm a Rams fan. Now, J.J., let me explain this to you. <laughs> Matt's from American Fork, all right? Or Pleasant Grove. No. Which one is it? How dare you? That's my rival, Pleasant Grove, man. Viking Sorry. pride. <laughs> PG, that's like when I tell yeah, my don't wife. Don't make that mistake. That's like I tell my wife, you went to Springville High School, right? Oh. She's like, whoa. <laughs> Blood boils. How rude. So, so he's, he's PG born and bred, all right? Okay. But, of course, he's a Lakers fan, and, of course, he's a Rams fan like you would expect. Get a life, I adopted Lakers the Ra- I adopted the Rams when they moved to L.A., just for oh the record. My <laughs> so it's, a, it's been so – oh, you, 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 for the record, it's a lifetime commitment. I was thinking had. maybe you, like, you served a mission in St. Louis no, or something. No, no, none of that. None you of act that. like the Rams no never left for them LA. when they were in St. Louis. Come on, we all know that. That's why they moved. Yeah, boy. Yeah, since since 2011, you've just been big time on uh, on the Rams bandwagon. 2014, okay. Sorry, if you want to be correct. All right, you're giving me too much credit. <laughs> well, I knew that. I mean, good for you. Good for you. Uh, he might be a Rams fan. <laughs> well, well, we'll start off with Puka though, because you know he didn't get the defensive player or the offensive rookie of the year award. Uh, we were debating about it and whether or not he got slighted, but uh, I think what C.J. Stroud did with an awful uh, franchise probably eclipses anything that any other rookie could have done if they're not a quarterback. I thought Puka got snubbed to the highest snubbery that's wow. ever existed in this award. Okay. I, look, C.J. Stroud had a really nice year. Like, And it, the point you made is a good one. Houston's been bad. He took him in the playoffs. That's all fine and good. His stats were solid, too. But Puka did something that no rookie's ever done before. He literally had an historical season to where he'll have a jersey, if not some shoes, some gloves, put in the Hall of Fame. Like, if that's not definitive of the best rookie offensive player, someone who puts up historic numbers, then I don't know what is. Like, quarterbacks put up C.J. Stroud numbers all the time. That's not unusual. He had a great rookie year, but it wasn't anything out of the ordinary. What Puka did and what and what he did with the Rams, too. I mean, Cooper Cup is hurt at the beginning of the year – he builds his rapport and is instantly just number one target. And even when Cooper Cup comes back, the production remains. And throw into the fact that he was a fifth-round pick, there were no expectations he would do this, and he puts up historic numbers. I thought it was ridiculous that Stroud won the award. It, it didn't make any sense to me. He made his case. I don't. You know, I don't hate it. Like I was saying, I just, I just, I already know. How quarterbacks get the uh, the, the, the nod. quarterback position? The value of it is just so immensely higher than than the receiver position, and that's really what it comes down to. When Stroud had a year where he had four thousand one hundred eight yards passing, his completion percentage was sixty three point nine. I mean, these aren't just average numbers; they're elite numbers. And 
his his quarterback whoa, whoa. was the they're, high. They're not elite, JJ. They're they're really good, but sixty three percent's not elite. <laughs> if we were talking seventy percent, now we're talking elite. We're almost getting to Brock Purdy numbers there. Hey, there you go. Well, then now we're going into a different conversation. <laughs> uh, I get it. Look, I, I see. I know. I know exactly why you feel like he got snubbed. I totally get it. But I also know why the NFL always uh, prioritizes quarterbacks over uh, wide receivers. All right. Uh, let's talk a little bit about BYU signing day wrapped up. We talked with Jay Hill earlier this week, and uh, he has just been such a huge difference maker when it comes to recruiting. You can see the difference that he – we already knew that Fessy Satake was a really, really good uh, recruiter as well. I think that just as valuable as the calling the defenses for BYU, Jay Hill's ability to be able to lead that recruiting for all these guys. When Sione Pua walks into a, a house, when Fessy Satake walks into a house – when Jay Hill walks into a house, they will – they're better at recruiting. They're just better at recruiting, and it showed this year. A year in now, they, they had one of the better uh, recru- recruiting classes that they've had maybe in in history, and certainly in a long time. I can't think of a better recruiting class in the Kalani Satake era, and I think the number one reason they're a top 50 class, they're ranked fifth in the Big 12, is because of Jay Hill. And there's numerous defensive players that aren't signing in this class if Jay Hill's not the defensive coordinator. They flipped a couple linebackers right before the most recent signing day out of Fremont High School in California. One of them, borderline four-star recruits. And look, some of these Polynesian names are a little tricky, so I'm probably not saying this correct, but Naki Tuakoi from Fremont High School. Not, uh, Not my best pronunciation I've ever had, but... He, you know, they had to battle for him, and Jay Hill has embraced that. And this was, this was a group, or, and I'm talking from the recruiting perspective, that just did not really get involved in these type of battles where you had to work extra hard to get guys, and that cost BYU on the recruiting trail. And this year, they were winners on the recruiting trail because they won some of those battles. And it all points back to Jay Hill. That's the safety Falatau Satuala out of Battleful High School. That was a recruiting flip because Jay Hill and this staff recruited him hard and got him. So his, his ability on the recruiting trail is, is up there with maybe some of the all-time recruiters at BYU, and he's really changing the talent on the defensive side of the ball. There's so many good defensive names in this class, and that's, that's the side of the ball that needs upgraded. We saw last year when, with that top 11, they were pretty legit. But when Ben Bywater and others started to get hurt, the production fell off dramatically in the big 12 and this 2024 recruiting class, man, there's a lot of talented dudes on the defensive side of the ball. Which player in this class will have the greatest immediate impact? Man, I I feel like I have to go with Falotau Satawala just because he he was so dynamic for Bountiful high school. JJ, you've been calling or following and covering high school football in the state for so long. You you probably know better than anyone, but he was such an impactful player for them. And then I look at BYU. Kalani said earlier in the week he's going to start at safety. That's a position where he could break in. Like, we don't know if Micah Harper is going to bounce back and be the same guy after the injury. And there's there's not a lot of proven commodities in that too deep. There were serviceable guys, Ethan Slade, Crew Wakely. They did a nice job, but... The upside and the talent of Satawala could maybe overcome that. So I'd probably put him on on the defensive side of the ball as someone who could jump in right away and make plays. 
Matt Biamonte joins us here on 97.5 the KSL Sports Zone. Gives you some of these insights when it comes to BYU, when it comes to the recruiting trail. Obviously, the next big one is going to be after spring. They're going to have a transfer portal situation that, you know, it's always exciting because I think they have conversations with people pre, I mean, post the season, right, uh, when the first transfer portal opens up and they go, hey, look, Let's be honest about what's going on here. And other players will say, I don't want to be here anymore, even if BYU says they want them or other schools say that they want them, whatever. Uh, so there there could be some other guys who are uh, are going to be on the move. I would imagine that there still would be some guys on the move after spring just because that's the way it works out every year. Uh, but let's move on to some basketball here. The Cougs lose a bad one to Oklahoma. They give up 48 points in the second half uh, in Norman. They have a, a massive challenge because Kansas State, a team who made a deep run in the uh, NCAA tournament last year is going to be coming to Provo. What are we looking at uh, this weekend with the Wildcats at the Marriott Center? I feel like you're sort of looking at like a borderline must win here after dropping that Oklahoma game. That the margin for error it's it's not as it's not as wide as you would think. BYU's in a really good position. They'll probably fall out of the top 25, or or they'll be right around there even with the win. Sure. Um, they're slipping a little bit on some of the bracketology seeds and they still have to take care of business at home. And what was disappointing about the Oklahoma game is they had lost three or four going into the game. They were not playing great basketball and BYU. If they want to realistically get the five seed and play in Salt Lake city, which would be an enormous advantage for BYU they have to steal some games on the road and they just haven't been able to do that. And I think that's something that's held this group back is there's too many times specifically on the road. It started with the Utah loss and it's continued to big 12 play where in the second half, they go on these offensive lapses and it affects their defense. And then what was a tie game or a two point game, it slips to eight and then their confidence is shaken a little bit. And and this team, it's, it's a positive and a negative and a blessing and a curse that, there are so many players that contribute on any given night. It could come from anywhere. But the curse to that is you don't necessarily know where to go when things aren't going right. And I, that's a concern I still have where, uh-oh, it's a 6-0 run. Our backs are against the wall. Momentum swinging. We need a bucket. Who do we go to? There isn't a set person. And in the game of basketball, it feels like you have to have those type of players to be great teams. The great BYU teams in the past have had that guy. Jimmer, Danny Ainge, there's been other great teams that had key players that you would go to. No one's stepped up in that role yet, and that doesn't mean this team's not good. I still think they're really good. It's just in these situations that we've seen on the road, when things get tough and you need a play made, there hasn't been a repeated player to step up and make those plays. And I think that's that's a concern that I have going forward is they got to identify in those key moments, okay, nothing's going our way, clear out, it's down hall, or dump it down to whoever it is. They need someone to, uh, to, to help them in those situations, and, and I think that's been a problem on the road. There's a debate going on in college basketball circles that the Big 12 is rigging the net system. <laughs> uh, there's obviously there's a lot of teams in the Big 12 up high, including BYU, who even after all the you know they're despite their conference record, they're eighth in the country in net ranking. I, I don't want to sit here and debate that, but what I do want to ask you is, are you concerned that the net ranking is maybe they, this could come back to bite BYU later on that they're maybe not as good as the the metrics are telling us they are. Um, there's there's non-conference strength of schedules 290. 
but that's not even that low in their conference play. <laughs> There's several other teams that have similar, but how concerned are you that some of these metrics are, are inflating BYU's value, which could you know, lead to, uh, I don't know, maybe an overinflation of what we expect from them in the postseason? This feels a little bit like what the SEC does in football, doesn't it? Don't don't oh, play anyone in the non-conference, <laughs> and then you have a yep. a great conference. Look, I don't think anyone can deny, even the people who are saying that the Big 12 is rigging the system in their favor, that the Big 12 is still the best league in basketball. It's, it's ridiculously hard. It feels like everybody can beat every – team in that league at any time and I don't I'm not concerned at all that this will hurt them I think it's actually the opposite I think it'll help them in the long run uh we have an interview on Cougar Sports Saturday tomorrow with Spencer Johnson where he said hey what's been so great about playing in the Big 12 even amongst the losses is that we feel like we're going to be more prepared than ever for the conference tournament and if we get to the NCAA tournament because in the WCC they were playing four games a year St. Mary's and Gonzaga that had any relevance, and outside of that, they weren't getting tested. This this team is yeah. probably the most tested BYU team that's ever played in the history of BYU basketball, and I think that will benefit them. And I kind of admire some of these teams for taking a softer approach to non-conference, try and stay healthy, which this team hasn't, and do what you can in conference play. But, yeah, I, I think it's – it's fair that people are pointing out that their non-conference schedule is weak, but so what? Like, it, mm-hmm. the Big 12 is, is so good in, in conference play that it it makes up for that. Right. There's there's no nice way it's on in the Big 12. Yeah, it's on purpose. you got to do it. I mean, if you're going to compete, you have to I do it. I don't blame the league at all. Whatever. No, it's, it's what you have to do. I mean, it's just like we were saying. It's, it's what the SEC does. It's how that you can put your program. If you have an advantage to be able to put your program on top of everybody else and get all the eyeballs and get all the money from, uh, you know, all this stuff, you got to do it. Matt Biamonte, we're way late on this one, Matt, but we appreciate all the uh, extra stuff here and we uh, – Thanks once again, and uh, Cougar Sports Saturday tomorrow, noon to three, right here on uh, or on KSL News Radio, and uh, of course you can get uh, his stuff and Mitch Harper at KSLSports.com. Thanks, Matt. We appreciate it. Thanks, Matt. Have a good weekend, guys.